Hello and welcome. You are listening to Embodied Curiosity. In this show, we will explore self-compassion and holistic health through the lens of embodiment, intuition, nature connection, and neuroscience. I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm so excited for you to join me. Hey, welcome back. I have been rereading one of my favorite books, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. This book has been so impactful in my life, and I wanted to share my thoughts and insights as I read through each chapter. This is set up sort of like a virtual book group, so feel free to get a copy of the book and follow along with me. I also uploaded video versions of these episodes on my YouTube channel. You can find my channel by just searching my name, Michaela Rands, or you can click the link in the description. I hope you gain some insights as I share my process with the stories in this powerful little book. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to be talking about Women Who Run With The Wolves, specifically chapter two. So I just finished reading it again. The chapter is called Stalking the Intruder. The Beginning Initiation. And it's centered around this story, the story of Bluebeard. I want to start with a quote that I wrote down that's right in the beginning. In a single human being, there are many other beings, all with their own values, motives, and devices. Our work is to build for all these beings a wildish countryside wherein the artists among them can make, the lovers love, and the healers heal. I really like that she started off with that because it's a really cool way to think about all the different aspects of your psyche as these different beings that have their own desires and um, motives. And anyway, she goes on to talk about that one of these beings, which is what this chapter is about, she calls the natural predator. And that's one of the beings that maybe doesn't deserve as much Um, of a place in your psyche. She talks about the natural predator within the psyche is an innate against nature force, against development, against harmony, against the wild. So she goes on to explain that. Maybe I'll give a quick summary of of the story to help better explain it, but I definitely recommend reading this chapter. This chapter was really impactful, and I remember the first time I read it, too. It sinks in differently every time, but this time it brought up a lot. It's definitely the looking at looking at the shadow aspects. Um, Bluebeard is, I, I've heard it in other contexts, slightly different versions of it, but it's a really famous um, story, and gosh, it's kind of hard to summarize, but basically there's a man named Bluebeard, with a Bluebeard, and everyone in town knows who he is and is afraid of him. And he tries to seduce these three sisters um, by taking them out on horseback and whining and dining them and trying to impress them. And the, the youngest of the sisters is thoroughly impressed. And even though the other two older sisters still decide that they don't trust him, and even the mother went along, actually, and she didn't really say much. But the youngest one, which represents sort of the naive the naive 
woman in the psyche decides, you know, he's not that bad and that was kind of fun. So she ends up actually marrying him. So she moves to his castle and he has a really big castle and all the things she would ever need. Um, and he goes on a trip and when he leaves, he tells her, you can do anything you want. You can go in any room in the castle. Here are my keys, except there's one room with this one key you're not allowed to use, but everything else you can do. So of course, uh, he leaves and she invites her sisters there and the sisters find out about this secret key that she's not allowed to use in the door that she's not allowed to open. And of course their curiosity gets the best of them and they, they go around the castle looking for this, this door that fits the key. And finally they find it down in the cellar and they try the key, they open the door, the door, the key burns inside of the room. They just see blood and rotting corpses and pyramids of skulls and it's a really grotesque scene and they all scream and they they run away and slam the door and meanwhile the key um the key to open the door is bleeding is bleeding red and the youngest daughter the one that married bluebeard she is super scared that he's gonna find out so she's trying to wipe off the blood and it just won't stop bleeding. So she she scours it and she rubs it with ashes and she's really trying to clean this key. And eventually she just tries to hide it in her closet, in her wardrobe, and it, and it bleeds all over her clothes. So this key just won't stop bleeding. But anyway, she hides it away and Bluebeard comes home and he asks, how are, you know, how is everything? How is, how is your time? And then you know, she said, everything's great, and, and he asks, where's the key? And he sees that the key's not there, and she basically says she lost the key, and he, yeah, he gets really upset, and he grabs her and tells her, you know, you, I know you saw the room, and you're next, and it makes it very clear that now he's planning on killing her, too, and that maybe that room was just full of all of his previous wives that had also looked in this room. So she begs and pleads for a moment to get herself together before she dies and she runs to her, um, her room and she calls for her sisters and she calls for her brothers and finally as Bluebeard is coming up the stairs to, to take her, the brothers come and they kill the Bluebeard and they also rescue her. So that's, that's the story. That was kind of a longer summary, but I definitely recommend reading it. The way she writes it is way better than what I just did. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a really powerful story about a predator, about a dark man. And they talk about how he's a failed magician. So he's this kind of sad creature that you want to have pity on, but he's also just so evil. Um, I'm going to share just another piece, a, a quick quote. She writes, in psychological interpretation, we call on all aspects of the fairy tale to represent the drama within a single woman's psyche. So I think I've said this before in previous videos, but I, um, I love the way um, this writer talks about how in this story, each character isn't necessarily a separate character in a woman's life, but actually a character within the woman's psyche, within the woman's personality. Um, it also reminds me a lot of that movie Inside Out 
which I love just the concept of having all of your different emotions have these slightly different personalities. So sort of like how the chapter started, having each of those different beings inside of your psyche, having different values. Um, and that's the same for this story. So the characters, the main characters in the story are, of course, Bluebeard, who is the natural predator, um, which she argues is in all of our psyches. Um, there's the naive, the young woman, the youngest sister, the one that marries Bluebeard. There are the two older sisters. Then there's the mother, and then there's the brothers. And those are those are all the characters. And then there's also some symbols in the story. Um, for example, the key is a symbol. The door. Um, yeah, inside that that room, even just the room being like in the cellar, and that the symbology of the cellar. Um, and in the room, there are bones and there's blood and the blood on the key. Um, and also clothing, the clothing being stained red by the blood. These are all symbols and characters in this story that have a deeper meaning. So I'll st I wanted to start with Bluebeard because that's majority of the chapter is about Bluebeard's character, the natural predator. Um, and of course, as I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, I know this, I know of this part of my psyche and um, yeah, it's always a challenge to to deal with um, this part of you that feels like it's just yeah against you, against you succeeding, against you achieving your goals and your dreams. Um, it's sort of like a sabotager, and I I don't know. I feel like most people I know have experienced this before. Um, so I was always looking while I'm reading the chapter. I'm looking for well, how do we how do we restrain or how do we get rid of this natural predator? Um, and she did list out a few things that you need in order to restrain the natural predator. She says you must still have your instinctual powers. And these include insight, intuition, endurance, tenacious loving, keen sensing, far vision, acute hearing, singing over the dead, intuitive healing, and tending to the creative fire. So those are all things that have been brought up in other chapters too. Those are all just really important tools that we need in order to, to yeah, fight this natural predator. And I, as I was reading through, I was interpreting the natural predator in a couple different ways. The first one that came to mind was just the inner critic. You know, like, um, I kept thinking about how interesting it is that I'm making this video right now and how one of the ways that I've seen this natural predator show up is just like how critical, um, self-critical I can be when I'm trying to film myself speaking. Like, it's so hard to even start because there's just so much fear. And I almost feel like even if my, my mind has gotten over it, my body still tenses up and I get like... A tense neck and a tense jaw and to me that's the natural predator at work um, the bluebeard character it's sort of like that self critical um, yeah you're not good enough you're gonna bother people or what's the point or who wants to listen to you um, those are the voices I think of the natural predator because if you think about it like none of those are really helping me achieve anything I want and you know if I have this vision of 
having a creative project, like making videos, then the natural predator comes in and tries to destroy that with its critical voices. So I'm trying to have all of my instinctual powers intact so that I can kind of observe the natural predator and not buy into its, its negativity. Um, gosh, there's so much more to say about the natural predator, but I'll get back to that. I'm going to go into a couple of the other characters. So there's the naive young woman, which she makes a distinction, you know, that when you're young, actually young, like your age is, you're young. Um, it's really normal and natural to have this naive woman kind of running the show, but it can also happen if you're older, if you just haven't completely fi finished this cycle or if you haven't been initiated. Um, and I feel like I've felt both of those, like I've been young and, um, been, you know, following shiny objects, so to speak, or, or following, I kind of think of it as like worrying way more about what other people think than what I want and think. So maybe like following a certain path, like majoring in something in college or, um, deciding like when someone asks you when you're young, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, you think like. A lot of times your motivation is, well, how am I going to make the most money? Yeah, I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a lawyer. And you don't really know what those mean or, yeah, even who you are or how, if that would fulfill you. If you actually want to do that every day, is it worth the money that you'll make? You know, so money is a good example of the way a natural predator will kind of convince you to do what other people say is right or to do the societally expected thing instead of what you really want, like if you want to be a musician, but you know you won't make very much money. It's like that classic story. So the naive woman often will fall for, fall for those kinds of things where she's not as in touch and in, in touch with her instinctual powers, and she maybe doesn't have that kind of boundaried decisiveness that is needed to, to notice when you're being pulled by a shiny object and not by like a true soul calling. Um, and that's where the older sisters come in. So the older sisters, even though they were wine to dine, they were not impressed by Bluebeard. And those represent the part of your psyche that knows better. And it's, it's interesting to think about that sometimes those voices can be kind of faint, but I think we've all experienced this kind of deeper knowing or like a know that we sort of feel, but we do it anyway. Um, so that's like the, when you notice the pattern and there's a voice that's like, you shouldn't do that. And then you still do it. Whether it's, yeah, going back to the same types of kind of toxic relationships or having some kind of like addictive substance addiction or I'm trying to think of any other examples, but yeah, the older sister is that voice that was kind of always there. You just didn't really listen. Um, it's interesting too, that the, the mother could also be that voice, but in this story, the mother didn't really say much and didn't really contribute. So that could mean like this, the psyche that this story is about that has kind of an undeveloped or unmothered part of themselves. Um, and lastly, you know, the brothers, they don't come in until the very end. Um, she calls for them, she calls for them and they're, they're kind of hard to get a hold of, is what it seems like. But finally they come, um, they're like a dust devil, it says. And they come in and they they have their swords and they they cut Bluebeard up. And, um, and I love the way she talks about how 
how important of a part of a woman's psyche it is to have this kind of a masculine force and really it's like aggression um, I think of like anger aggression violence really strong boundaries um, like a warrior you know I think in some ways she even says this that it's like bred out of us as women like if we if women are aggressive or violent um, or angry uh, yeah they may not be successful in this life and for whatever reason isn't seen as associated with femininity so it's a lot it's often kind of bred out of us or forced out of us um, but she's making the case for the importance of having an intact masculine boundary setting almost aggression so that in situations that are really dire that are really dangerous where you're getting killed or where even just your soul is getting killed in some in some way it's important to have to be able to call on that masculine aspect and, and in the story that's represented by the brothers um, some other the, some of the other symbols that I thought were really profound um, yeah I really I felt it, it was interesting that the key was bleeding um, she talks about how the, that's the blood of the soul that's the soul blood and it's it's this idea that once you look once you look in that door uh, you can't unsee it you know and it's yeah it's sort of like when you have that moment of curiosity where you sort of think about what do you really want in life or yeah if you're in a job that you don't like but it's good money or if you're in a relationship that you feel stuck in but you just you just don't really want to think about the fact that it's making you unhappy or that this isn't your path um ooh, this is yeah this is a really hard topic because when I was reading it, it was bringing up a lot for me. And so I think the bleeding key represents the the constant, almost like nagging feeling you feel once you once you realize that you're not on your path or that your dreams are dying at your feet. You know, whatever your dreams are. Maybe it's like you had a, a dream to have a family um, or to have a certain career or to even just creative projects. That was what was kept coming up for me. Like, I feel like we have a lot on our, I guess, bucket list. I think, you know, most people I'm, I meet are like, yeah, one day, someday I'm going to travel around in a bus or I'm going to live in a van or someday I'm going to write a book or someday I'm going to make a movie, you know, I'm going to make a song. Um, I'm going to perform. I'm going to join a band. It's always creative pursuits, I feel like, that get kind of put aside, and that's what I think the story represents in a big way. It could mean a couple other things, but that was the big message that I got was, yeah, that once once you see that you've had this creative pursuit, like one, one thing that came to mind was uh, I was thinking about, like, if I were to look back at old journals from years and years ago and seeing what some of my, like, really big dreams and goals and ideas were and how they how now I'm looking and they never ever came to fruition. Um, that's that feeling of like looking in that door, looking in that room with all the blood and all the bones. And it's basically like you're seeing all of your past dreams just laying there on lifeless because, because something had sabotaged them. And sometimes they just weren't meant to be, but there's ones that were meant to be that the natural predator came in and, and really, just killed them with the self-critical voice or 
just these subtle ways that the predator can sabotage your efforts and your dreams and your creative projects. Um, the other symbol that really spoke to me was that in that room is bones, bones and blood and it's very grotesque. Um, but the bones, going back to the, the previous chapter, the bones are representing that indestructible aspect of the soul. So even though they're lifeless and dead, the bones still exist. They haven't disintegrated yet. So there's hope. There's hope to revive these parts of yourself using the wild woman archetype, really. And she does end the chapter with talking about the wild woman and how the wild woman is sort of the antidote to the natural predator and how they've known each other, these two characters, the wild woman, Laloba, and this bluebeard natural predator have been in the psyche of the human since the beginning of time, um, maybe even before humans. And they are kind of at war. You know, there's the the anti, anti-life, anti-development, anti- growth, anti-curiosity is that bluebeard character and then the wild woman is all furthering growth furthering life you know, furthering creativity and curiosity so it's interesting to think about how those work within your own psyche there is another really um, cool part where she really dives into just shadow work really and, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier when you when you look into that room with all the blood and the carnage, uh, you're, you're really looking at your shadow, you know, and in this example, it could be like your shadow could be that really self-critical part of you that when you try to, when you try and create something, it just, that voice comes in and says, you're not good enough. You suck. You know, you'll never make it at this. And that's part of the shadow, but it could also be like, um, you know, another example would be like greed, like noticing that you that you took a job or that you are in a marriage or in some kind of agreement that you chose because not because your soul wanted to, but because of security and money or some kind of, you know, material possessions. And again, this isn't meant to make you feel bad about that, but just to notice when you look in this room that you realize that you chose that over um, all of your dreams and goals and, and your creative aspirations. And she says the deepest work is usually the darkest. So I, when I was reading this, I felt like, well, where do I stand? Like, am I the naive young girl still? Or have I been initiated? Or am I the older woman that hasn't been initiated? And what came to me is that you know, it's not a black and white thing, I think. I think for me, I've definitely been through many, maybe many initiations like this, whether it's like, yeah, in college, like switching, completely flipping everything and switching my major and deciding to do something totally different. And um, the, there's been a few times where I've just completely given up on something because... I had that moment of realization where I just saw the truth that this is not what I want to be doing and no matter what culture was telling me that I had to keep going and I had to persevere and that quitting is really bad I just was like the key was bleeding you know I couldn't I couldn't unsee um, the destruction that it was causing so I've had a couple of these mini initiations 
but yeah, the pattern, you know, does still exist. And um, the one I'm in currently is like this project of trying to make more videos. And like I said, it's not, it hasn't been easy. I made, you know, my, <laughs> I'm going to start a YouTube channel video like a year and a half ago. And I actually asked for feedback from people and it was just really hard for me to get, get over um, the critical voices in my head and just the really helpful feedback I got. It's just like adds to the, adds to all the reasons to sabotage this project. And yet I keep getting that, that message that I still want to make, I still want to share and I still want to make these. So I'm trying to push through that. So that's my current initiation is just like channeling the wild woman through this experience. But there's been much darker, scarier initiations around relationships ending and temptation within that and job stuff and money stuff and yeah it's kind of a constant journey and I imagine I have many more initiations to come um yeah the last thing I want to mention that I thought was really interesting is she has a whole section on dark man dreams which was really interesting to me because well first of all I'm not super good at remembering my dreams unfortunately um but as a kid I definitely had dark man dreams more as a kid than even as an adult where and there's always this certain kind of energy or vibe um it's so interesting like I, that that there's a certain archetype for me of who this like dark man is and anyway I'm curious if other people have had the dark man dream that was going to be one of my questions because um, for me, you know, it would always be sort of like someone sneaking in my house at night or someone in my room really near me, like watching me sleep. I think I had them all. I, I like woke up a lot at night when I was a kid, like thinking there was literally a dark man in my room. <laughs> and so what she says is that if you're having these dark man dreams, it's often a symbol that like there's some aspect in your life that is being sabotaged. And so this is your psyche's way of like warning you or telling you hey, wake up, like, this is what's happening, like, you have, the natural predator is at work here. So, yeah, I'm, I have to reflect more on why I would have had that as a kid. Um, there could have been a lot of things that I wasn't following, and, you know, when you're, when you're a young girl in this culture, you definitely learn to kind of suppress some of your bigger feelings, and um, that could have been it, just simply feeling suppressed, feeling... Like I was supposed to be nice and supposed to make other people happy and that I had to do that at the expense of my own feelings and that if I had negative feelings, then it would make everyone else upset. So I just don't express them, you know, or don't um, put that on other people, you know, be nice. She talks about how we're taught to be really nice and um, yeah, that's still a hard one to break through for me. So that, you know, notice if you have dark man dreams. Um, because it could mean that there's something in your life that's being attacked by this natural predator, whether it's the critical voice or, yeah, something is, is awry. So, so look into it and be curious. Um, finally, she, she gives us more tips on how to, how to fight this natural predator and, and what is the cure? What is the cure to this, this anti development, anti-creativity, anti-curiosity nature that we all have. 
And of course, <laughs> the number one thing is practice listening to your intuition, your inner voice. And this is so huge. And again, constantly a journey. <laughs> it's, it's a really hard thing. It's so much easier said than done. So listen to your intuition. Ask questions. Be curious. So those are really important too. Like, I think often if something seems scary or dark or uncomfortable, um, we look away, you know, one of the, one of the other kind of shadow aspects that came up for me when they open the door of the room and they see the bodies and the blood is I thought about, you know, some of the, some of the more scary aspects of this life to me are of course like gore, gore and, um, like I think of like hospitals. I mean, I had like a childhood surgery, so the childhood surgery kind of comes up in terms of like, yeah, like being sick and having, being cut open and there's all this kind of like scary stuff. Like it's basically all the stuff that they would put in like a horror movie. And ironically, or not ironically, I absolutely hate scary or horror movies. Like I can't watch them at all. And that to me is like me, I mean, I'm going to stick with that for a little while, but I'm protecting my nervous system, but at the same time, I'm looking away, you know, I'm, I'm not being curious about why this is so triggering for me, because it is an aspect of life, like violence and blood and disease, these are all real things that happen, and yeah, you can't just pretend they're not there and la 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 la, look away, that's sort of what the, the predator wants you to do. Um, so it says, ask questions, be curious, see what you see, hear what you hear, and then act upon what you know to be true. And that's really where the decisiveness comes in. Um, so calling on the wild woman, like we talked about in the last chapter, is going to be really helpful. If, if this story resonates with you, if you feel like you're dealing with um, the natural predator right now, if you're having dark man dreams, if there's parts of your life that feel unanimated if you feel like your dreams have died and you've lost your motivation definitely read this chapter and really try to call try to call on the wild woman to bring back your inner intuition and to bring back your curiosity um, and look under every rock and try and find these dark places that need light you know they need to be shed light on so I'll, I'll end with a few questions that I came up with. Um, I already said one of them, which is, I just am curious if you want to share um, if you've had any dark man dreams in your life or recently. And yeah, that's kind of a yes or no question, but share as much as you'd like. Um, the other question I got right from the chapter, and she wrote, what stands behind... What is not as it appears? What do I know deep in my ovarios, ovaries, that I wish I did not know? That one's powerful. What do I know that I wish I did not know? What of me has been killed or lays dying? So again, back to those dreams and aspirations and creative projects and visions. Like if you had a vision for your life, um, really investigate that. Like, where is that coming from? Is that, is that coming from a desire to please other people? Or is it coming from like this deep soul part of yourself that this is just really something you've always wanted and felt called to do or to be, or to 
become? What has been killed or lays dying? So I'll put those questions in the comments. And also, if you want to pick up a copy of the book, I'll put a link to that. I need to get a new copy, clearly, because it's kind of getting destroyed. But I'll put a link to the book down below, and I'll, I'll put the questions in the comments. So, yeah, please feel free to engage. And that one took me a little while, but the next one I'm excited for. I think it's going to be on intuition. Let's see nosing out the facts the retrieval of intuition i love this one so stay tuned for more videos thank you for watching Thank you for listening to Embodied Curiosity. I hope you picked up some valuable insights to inspire you to stay curious and embodied.